You're listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. And on this week's podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about renewable energy in the upcoming years. You know, we just had a a pretty historic extension of the production tax credit and the investment tax credit for renewable energy. And we also have a number of other things going on in terms of Uh, renewable portfolio standards around the country in terms of the clean power plan, which has certainly been in the news recently. And how do all of these things sort of come together uh, for the future of renewable energy? Yeah, and also, Tom, the extension of the PTC and the ITC uh, in the uh, Omnibus Appropriations Act that the president signed last December, right? So how how are these state policies and federal policies, what's it going to you know, what's the, the near or midterm future look like for the next five years, seven years, 2020, 2022? You know, there's a lot of conversation about the Clean Power Plan. Of course, events of, uh, of, of late have cast some uncertainty about the Clean Power Plan. But that really is a 2022 to 2030, you know, compliance window. And that's seven years from now. And so, uh, you know, I think there's folks are understandably trying to... Uh, trying to ascertain what it means for solar and wind and other renewables uh, in the in the sort of medium term. When you look at RPSs, what's so interesting, there were nine states that hit their target dates for renewable portfolio standards in 2015. So last year, nine states hit their target dates. That's, that doesn't mean they had policies that expired, but they hit their target dates. And you see a similar kind of tranching as we look forward. So 2020 is a really key date. 2025 is a really key date. In 2020, another six states will hit their targets. 2025, another 10 states will hit their targets. And so you've got kind of imagine the tail of a curve, really, uh, the tail of a bell curve as we go forward as states hit their policies, assuming that they're not extending or increasing them. Yeah, and we've seen a few states uh, extend and increase Mm -hmm. uh, already. So we saw Vermont establish an RPS of 75%. California just recently extended theirs uh, and increased it to 50%. And, of course, Hawaii is the first state to come out with a 100%. Right, exactly. Oregon is con- also considering a 50% right. RPS. So there are, there are notable exceptions, I guess you could say. But on the whole, looking forward in terms of policies that are on the books, there is a, there is a decline in that, in that curve. So, you know, you mentioned re- renewable portfolio standards, and we've talked about that in on this podcast before as being one of the prime drivers from the state side to, uh, mm-hmm. to increase investment and deployment of renewable energy around the country. And on the federal side, it's really been this tax incentive. So production tax credits, investment tax credits, the production tax credit generally used uh, – predominantly for wind development, investment tax credit, predominantly for solar development. And it's been a a sort of stop and start since since, uh, right around 2000. It's really been a stop and start policy. There's been a short-term extension, and then it it, it just about expires, and then they extend it again. And it's really led to a lot of uncertainty in terms of investment in the renewable field. And so this recent agreement that that, uh, Mm -hmm. came up with Congress and the president to have a longer-term extension is significant for a couple reasons. Number one, it puts in place a little bit more certainty around the production tax credit and the investment tax credit. Uh, 
uh, over a longer period of time. Yep, sure but, does. But as you mentioned, we've got the clean power plan that's going to be implemented and going into effect, uh, if assuming it's it's uh, all okayed by the courts in 2022, which is the year that the renewable por- that the uh, pr- production tax credit and the inte- well the year that the in- investment tax credit expires. The production tax credit will expire two years prior to that. So we see yeah. we see the decline in these tax incentives uh, going down to zero just as this uh, this regulation comes into place. Yeah, I think it's a really important point that you're making. You know, I, uh, some some might call it that you know that say that the PTC and the ITC are something of a bridge to the clean power plan, um, or at least a bridge to the clean energy incentive program. Right, if that um, is upheld uh, as part of this rule, which is a 2020 and 2021. Uh, in early action incentive program. So you've got the ITC uh, that really is on a, a more shallow declining curve, I think is a better way to put it, from 30% down to uh, 10% in 2022, but the, the big reductions happening in later years. The PTC is on, I think, a, a kind of a more initial drop, quicker initial drops from uh, today until 2020. Um, and, and so this, you know, this is uh, these are tax credits and accelerated depreciation that are on the table uh, for early action. And you know <clears throat> the way you can look at this as a developer, obviously you're looking at ways in which you can actually um, you know develop projects for less money. As a consumer uh, and as a regulator, for example, or a policymaker around the country, they might look at it as a way in which they can take advantage of these lower prices to get renewable energy in the ground uh, and save their, save their consumers' money. I just came from a briefing uh, here in Colorado this morning, Tom, where uh, the major utility was uh, presenting that for them, the levelized cost of energy for wind power, for a typical wind farm, uh, it goes down 45% if they take the PTC in its, in its current 2.3 cent per kilowatt hour, you know, that 100% PTC level. So a 45% reduction in the levelized cost of energy of a project, and that's just for a utility, right? The um, non-regulated entities are able to monetize that uh, as well, but for for basically a 50% off sale right? Uh, for, for wind energy. And, again, if the CPP is upheld, if the CEIP, the Clean Energy Incentive Program, is part of that, one could also imagine that a utility, a state that matches um, the CEIP pool that EPA put up, uh, they would be able to monetize maybe some of those allowances well, allowances as well. Yeah, so let's get to the CEIP in a minute. And first, let's talk about <clears throat> the first point, which is we've got, let's take the PTC as the example, mm-hmm. right? So that's generally used for wind power. Most of our renewable portfolio standards are... Uh, being uh, complied with through wind power. There's obviously solar and geothermal and all all sorts of different things that go into that, but most of the compliance is through wind. So we'll talk about it within that context. We've got in 2015 and 2016, 100% of the current production tax credit. Yeah, so 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 2.3 cents per kilowatt hour for the PTC this year, that last year and this year, right? Right. Then in 2017, that drops to 80% of that amount. In 20 18, it drops to 60% of that amount. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019, it's 40%, and then it's gone in 2020. So a question for policymakers is, 
how does our renewable portfolio standards stack up right. in, against this declining incentive? And how can we take the greatest advantage of the tax incentives that are out there, achieve compliance, but maybe accelerate the development of that renewable more towards the front end of that so that we can actually uh, get it for the lowest cost. And, uh, and I'll take that even a step further. Uh, how can the state uh, utility regulators and consumer advocates then also ensure that that value, that that benefit is monetized and, and borne out in lower rates for consumers? Right. Right. And so it's not only that, you know, the, the RPS requires a certain number of megawatts and utilities build those megawatts, but then those savings are also reflected in a rate case. Those savings are also reflected in lower and uh, and, and uh, locked-in rates for consumers, um, because these are ten-year incentives. Right. Right. These are the PTC lasts for ten years after a project uh, begins working. So, so in theory, a project that uh, goes in place in 2019 that gets a 40 percent ITC credit. What is that? Maybe about a cent per kilowatt hour. Uh, would receive it for 10 years. So maybe legislators should be looking at their compliance regimes with their existing renewable portfolio standards in the states that have them and say, how can we best maximize the benefit for mm -hmm. the consumer by taking advantage right. of these financial incentives that are out there? So now let's talk a little bit about the Clean Energy Incentive Program. And this is something that's still under development by uh, the EPA. But it is designed to incentivize states to do two different things. Number one, develop renewable energy prior to the actual uh, compliance period that the, mm -hmm. that the Clean Power Plan uh, begins in 2022, and also to incentivize investment in low-income energy efficiency. And it does that through a process of applying uh, allocations or credits. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about how that's Sure, yeah. That's uh, in, in its basic sense, it's a, it's a matching program. Uh, EPA has put up, they've established a, um, um, they've created a fund of allowances. So 300 million tons, just to think about it in a mass-based world for a second here, 300 million tons that EPA has created that they've said they will match. So let's, uh, let's talk about what an allowance is, though. An allowance is what a utility would use or state would use to comply with the provisions of the Clean Power Plan. Now, normally they would have to do that entirely right. within their state or within their power plant, whoever's doing the complying. They would have to achieve those reductions themselves, and that costs money, of course. Right. And then, and then that, those allowances would then be used for compliance. What the federal government is saying is, we will actually give you mm -hmm. additional allowances that you can then use towards compliance. And this is what gets to the point that you were making earlier about monetizing those allowances because those allowances are actual value. They have value, right? So the, an allowance is, the, is, the, uh, is essentially the holding an allowance allows an emitter to emit one ton of CO2 in this case, right? So that has value. Right. Uh, whether that's $1 or... Five or six dollars, which are the clearing prices for the Western Climate Initiative, uh, or uh, or you know Reggie clearing prices as well. Maybe they're ten dollars. There's uncertainty as to what the allowance value will be over a 2022 to 2030 time frame. Again, for compliance with the CPP and making some assumptions here that that will uh, be in some form in place. But as you say, Tom, it's a it's a renewable energy and a low income energy efficiency program. 
uh, where EPA will match a half of an allowance uh, for renewables that it, in which states put forward a half of an allowance from their renew from their budget for renewables, and they will match two allowances, so two from EPA for every one allowance uh, that states put forward for low income energy efficiency. So it's really kind of you know, one-to-one one for renewables, and it's two-to-one for, for low-income energy efficiency. So let's keep with the renewables for now. If we combine these two things, mm-hmm. if you combine this, uh, this allowance allocation that the EPA is establishing right now and they're crafting the rules for, uh, with the PTC incentive, right. you end up with a real multiplier of benefit to the consumers in states that choose to make these kinds of uh, policy changes that would drive investment in renewable energy, uh, both from the tax credit side and from the allowance side? I think you do. I mean, no one really knows for sure, right, because there's uncertainty about what the CPP uh, will look like. Certainly, there's far more certainty about the PTC and the ITC. Um, And I think states uh, control their own destiny when it comes to their renewable portfolio standards, too, to some extent. Uh, so what that multiplier, that uh, allowance benefit will be is, is unknown for CEIP participation. But, you know, I think it's reasonable for regulators and policymakers to assume that there will be markets. There will be markets that don't exist now uh, in the future. And I think there's a, a really strong argument to be made that states that um, act early that take advantage of these financial incentives, federal financial incentives, that get their their policies in line at the state level, that are able to maximize unused transmission capacity that they might have right now, to sort of strike while the iron is hot, it's a pretty good bet, right, uh, that they will be in a better place to uh, keep rates low and, and even maybe reduce rates in some cases uh, through these investments now. So as you said, we have nine states in which the the RPSs are expiring in 2015. We have another six where they're expiring in 2020. Again, that's the same date that the PTC goes away. Right, right. Um, and then we have another 10 states that are expiring in 2025. And so the uh, folks interested in policy in those states might look at, uh, for the 2015 states, extending their extending their renewable uh, portfolio standards, but also incentivizing the utilities to build out that renewable generation early while the consumers can take advantage of the savings that are available through the ITC and the PTC, and also instruct their states, because this is a portion, this is a component of the proposed clean power plan, is that states need to opt in Right. To the exactly. to the early incentive program. So instruct their states to opt into the in early incentive program so that if this rule is upheld and they've made these investments in renewable energy, they'll be able to maximize that uh, benefit through the allocation formula. Well said. You've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy. I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. And I'm your co-host, Tom Plant. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you.